Lovely. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Are we all right? I don't know why I always start with that. That's just a force of habit, isn't it? But um, yes. Great. Well, I'm very excited to, uh, to be able to be here again. It's been a little while since uh, I've uh, been able to share something with you, and I'm excited to be back. We're going to be continuing our series looking at uh, the book of 1 John. We've been working our way through it, and uh, we've been pulling out sort of three major themes throughout the book, um, which is uh, obedient living, true doctrine, and fervent devotion. Obedient living, true doctrine, and fervent devotion. So we pull those out each week. And um, this week we're at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to see some uh, repeated um, themes from the other chapters we've been looking at. So some of what I'm going to say actually will be drawing back on, on what's already come. Uh, you'll be sort of recognising it. Things like the mention of the, the Antichrist being either of the Antichrist or, or of Christ himself. Um, loving each other, loving your fellow Christians and abiding in God. So there is a lot of crossover here, but hopefully we're going to draw some, some fresh things out today and unpack it in a fresh way. I'm going to turn to uh, 1 John chapter 4 right now as we speak. Um, so this chapter really uh, points us to um, a couple of key things which we're going to be, be seeing as we go through. We'll just sort of read through the passage as we go, I think, and, uh, and pull them out as we hit them. Um, but you'll see us looking at the idea of choosing to be on Christ's team uh, and not mixing things of the world in with uh, our sort of true doctrine, as it were, our Christian theology. Letting our love for God fuel our love for each other. So uh, the way we interact with each other really flows out of a heart and an affection and a passion for who he is and, and our connection with him. And lastly, living from affection rather than apprehension. We'll unpack that in a minute. So, uh, let's just pray and then we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just invite you now to come and unpack your word to us. Lord, we want true doctrine, so come and speak now into our hearts what's on your heart. Lord, like we were just singing, show, show, show me, show us who you are. Fill us with your love and send us out to those around us. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Okie dokie. So if you haven't already, get yourselves to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be reading through. Um, and then, we'll, yeah, as I say, we'll hit things as we, as we come to them. Um, just to sort of set the scene here, the Christian life really has its foundation in love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So there's, there's, there's three things there he identifies, and love is at the, at the bottom, as it were, as the foundation stone. And we know that Christ is love, and he is the, the cornerstone, so it marries up. And he, uh, Jesus taught that the greatest commandment that summed up the law and the prophets was love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. And then he said love your neighbour as you love yourself. And he said the, the second of these, uh, love your neighbour as yourself, is like the first. So there's an extension of your love for God that then flows into your love for other people. And the two kind of like flip sides of the same coin. They flow from one from another. 
So let's have a look at uh, verse 1 to 6 for now. And then we'll pick some bits out. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So here he's drawing a really clear line. He's saying that there is Christ and there is Antichrist. Where it says test the spirits, I think he's speaking of spiritual powers and authorities. Uh, you've either got those belonging to Camp Antichrist, as it were, which is Satan and his schemes, or you've got Camp Christ. He says you need to know the difference and you need to be listening to Camp Christ. Uh, Prophets would often speak from the leading of a spiritual force. So there's the indication there there is a spiritual realm. I would imagine most of us would uh, agree with that. That's what the Bible is saying to us. But it's the understanding that actually, just because it sounds good to your ears, doesn't mean that it is of the truth. The way to tell the difference is that any spirit that's not of Christ will deny some of the true tenets of the gospel. That Jesus, number one, was the Christ, the promised Son of God. Number two, that he came in the flesh. So a lot of the heresies that came out in the early days were about the person of Jesus. Was he really God? Was he really fully God and also fully human? Anything that denies that is of the Antichrist. Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God. And have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So as a reminder to the listeners, the readers of the letter, and the reminders of, uh, to us, that we are Camp Christ. Let us remember that. We are Camp Christ. We have the victory. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So yeah, there is a uh, propaganda campaign out there designed to deceive people and to trick them into believing things that aren't true. But we are of the... Truth. We are the camp that is in the victory here, and we must remember it. And it's important, therefore, to make sure that we do not mix the two. Often it can, we can come across things maybe online or maybe uh, in books that sound kind of nice, sound kind of pleasing to our ears. You know, there's other world philosophies out there, but there's also those who sound Christian, um, and it can sound very appealing. Ideas like, oh, well, there's, there's no real hell. You won't, or you won't stay there for long, you know, if you go. But we've got to make sure that we understand the truth so that we can recognise when we hear those false teachings which would seek to draw us away and make sure that, therefore, we're not mixing and matching too. There's the encouragement to test what we listen to, to weigh it up. Even when we're hearing things from the front here, you know, we want to be all about the truth, but it's important that, as a community, we are testing what we hear and weighing it up, 
going back to the scriptures, referring back to it, talking amongst each other. Is that what it says? Is that what it's, it's saying? Is that something we can get hold of? We all have a responsibility and a part to play in, in weighing what we hear, because we're a community, we're a family. That goes for me preaching this morning. Hopefully you will see everything I'm saying in the scriptures. It goes for prophetic words, words of wisdom, things that are shared from the front. It goes for conversations in tea and coffee. We've got to have our antenna up because we must make sure that we are choosing Camp Christ, not Camp Antichrist. So that's the distinction that John is drawing in that first uh, block there, verses 1 to 6. Then there's almost a sort of a, it can feel like a gear change when you get into verse 7, when he starts to, to talk about loving each other. But I think actually the point is that if we're choosing to stay in Camp Christ, what naturally flows is love for each other. So let's move on to chapter, uh, sorry, to verse 7 to 16. Let's read uh, and comment as we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he's given us of his spirit, and we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has had for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's a lot of abiding and a lot of in God and of God. Let's unpack that. Uh, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Now, when he says love is from God, he's not talking about, in general, love is from God, although there's truth in that. He's talking specifically about loving Christians, loving each other. The only way that uh, a person will come to love the bride of Christ is by living in God, by loving God. God gives that love to you. So that's what he means when he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love, loving the bride, is from God. Whoever loves the bride has been born of God and knows God. Again, there's that link between loving God loving each other. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So again, if you have no love, if you have a person with no love for the church, no love for the bride, that's a sign that there is no love for God in that person. But if they know God and know his love, then they will naturally, by definition, overflow that into loving God the bride. Now when we're thinking about loving each other and loving the bride, I mean it's easy to think of nice warm feelings for, you know, the person next to you who's really kind and, and you know, you know so and so who's really friendly and always has a smile on their face. That kind of love comes easily, comes naturally, doesn't it? But I think where love is tested is in a context where there's 
actually a bit of friction, you know, a bit of difficulty. Maybe even like hurt feelings, you know. <clears throat> how do we, how do we, the question today is how do we love the unlovely, you know, people that, that we, we struggle to, to be around or people who have hurt us in the past maybe. I would imagine that probably for most of us in this room, if not all of us, perhaps depending on age, we've been hurt by a, a fellow brother or sister in the past. You know, that's part of life. We are all people in process. You know, we're born again, so we no longer have to live following our sinful flesh, but there's still habits and tendencies to make the wrong choice. And often that has the consequence of causing wounds and injury to our brothers and sisters around us. So how do we navigate this? Well, I think that John unpacks this for, for us with two examples which he gives in verse 9 and verse 10. <clears throat> in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's the example number one. God sent his son so that we would live through him. Uh, number two, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what's that, what's that telling us in terms of how we love each other? Well, number one, verse nine, we, he gave his son so that we might live through him. As we come to an understanding of the self-sacrificing self-giving love that God has poured out for us, we find our example, our model of how we are to pour ourselves out and to love each other. We give ourselves up so that the other person, the person who's hurt us, might might have life in him. Number two in verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God. So not that God saw merit in us to pour his love out on us because we were, you know, loving him and seeking him first. But actually he poured his love out on us, his enemies, living in sin, loving sin, loving evil. He poured his own son out for his enemies to be the payment for their sins. That word propitiation is payment, payment for our sins. So we give ourselves up that they may have life. And we embrace our love for God to the point of the cross. That's our response in loving people who are unlovely around us. People who are, have hurt us. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Let's try and clarify this. So what did Jesus do on the cross? He submitted himself to the pain of it. He embraced that pain of it because he, it says, for the joy, of, uh, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. His eyes were on the prize, as it were. So in that place where we're trying to think, how do I love somebody who's hurt me? There's a sense of having to, rather than follow our natural heart inclination of, oh man, that hurts, I want to shy away, I want to cut this person from my life, I don't want to think about them. Actually, we press through that pain in the same way that Jesus surrendered his arms and feet on the cross. On the cross, he prayed and he began his prayer prayer by saying father so in that place where we're trying to press through pain 
we pray and we bring our prayers to our Father. We recognise right from the start that we're connected with the one who loves us, the one who cherishes us, the one who accepts us and welcomes us, our healer, our saviour. What were the things that we were singing earlier? Prophet, king, saviour, healer. We pray, Father. Then what did he pray? He prayed, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He interceded for them, even in that place of pain. And his heart was, Lord, make them whole. It wasn't, Lord, rescue me from what I'm going through right now. Lord, save me from from the pain and the difficulty of it. But he pushed through that and he said, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you are here today and you are carrying hurts from the past, I'd encourage you that if this person, if they were truly a born-again Christian, saw who they were in God, saw who he was more clearly and fully, then they wouldn't have hurt you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He prayed and he blessed them and he allowed his heart to pour out in love to those who had put him up on that cross. Now, you might say, what about the pain? What about what I'm dealing with? What about the wrong that actually I suffered? It might well have been (coughs) that somebody did something genuinely wrong. Maybe somebody is in a situation here right now where you're actually being damaged by somebody else. (coughs) This is not a, well, you've just got to endure it. You've just got to suck it up and take it. If you're being, if somebody is in an ongoing situation where there's pain being caused by the actions of somebody else, it's okay to remove yourself from that as long as you don't turn your heart in bitterness and anger and hatred towards that person. So this is about the heart attitude of even if I need to take steps to protect myself, I can still love in the midst of that. So there is a line here, and I'm not advocating that we just become doormats and just take it because that's not right. But as we press through in the love and say, yes, I'm feeling pain, yes, I'm choosing to turn my heart into blessing and intercession for this person, that their brokenness will be healed and they'd be made whole, I'm also going to do something about my pain. Because Jesus was in real pain. But he trusted in the victory power of God to bring him through that into a place of wholeness. So even though there was a process and it didn't come instantly, he knew his part was to intercede and he brought his heart to God and trusting him to make him whole at the end of the process because he prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So there's that intercession and there's also that drawing near to God and knowing that it's only possible through his power. There was a situation I faced a number of years ago where I had to kind of put some of this into practice. Um, So there was a disagreement that came up between myself and and another Christian friend. And in that moment, I could have turned my heart in in anger and, you know, that sense of, like, I've got to defend myself and kind of justify myself. Um, And I could have tried to cut them out of my life and, you know, just had that emotional reaction that that is very natural. But there's there's two verses that have stuck with me over the years which I, I clung to, which is Hebrews 12, verse 15. Let no root of bitterness springing up cause division. And Romans 12 verse 19, it's mine to avenge, says the Lord. 
Revenge is a bit of a strong word, but there's that sense in those two verses of um, the priority being unity amongst the family, unity amongst the brotherhood, amongst Christians, amongst the church. And that is so paramount and so important. Again, it doesn't mean that we continue to take damage from other people. But it does mean that we continually feed our heart with the right stuff, keeping it close to God, keeping it in the word, so that we're able to continue to love, so that no root of bitterness comes in, because that's genuinely a killer. Bitterness will take you out. And if it grows up in your heart, it can spread, and it can poison an entire church. It's happened, you know? So it is so important that what we hold above everything else is that as far as it depends on me, I will dwell in peace with those around me. And that, that is hard to say. That's hard to live out because it means taking your pain and fighting that knee-jerk reaction of drawing away and saying, okay, ow, that really, really hurt. And actually, that was wrong. But I'm going to press through and intercede for this person's brokenness. Because if they saw who they were, if they saw who Jesus was more clearly, then they wouldn't have done it. And the gospel would be brought to fullness in their life. Others would see Jesus in them if this wasn't there. So I'm going to pray blessing on them instead of a curse. And I'm going to bring my heart to Jesus. And I'm going to let him make me whole. Let him, let his truth speak into that place. Maybe they called me a name. Maybe they said, you're no good. You're, you're this, you're that. I'm going to let the truth speak to that. I'm going to keep my doctrine true. I'm going to stay Camp Christ. And I'm going to weather the storm and I'm going to pray and I'm going to bless. <laughs> Maybe you're in that position this morning of carrying some hurt, carrying some pain. And there's a little bit of drawing near to the cross that's going to bring you into wholeness. We forgive... Not because it's been earned, but out of our love for God. And actually doing this draws us into the deepest place of God's heart. You know, think about the place in God's heart where the cross came. I mean, God is is generous and he's kind and he meets needs and he looks after you provisionally. But actually the deepest place of God's heart is where the cross came from. And so if you push forward in the cross, if you push forward in that process that we've just been talking about, you are drawing your heart into the deepest place of God. The next step into intimacy with God might well be for you, pushing forward in this, stepping the other side of forgiveness. Let's keep moving. Verse 16. So we've come to know... And to believe the love that God has for us. That word there, we've come to know, is actually the word, Greek word, ginosko, or ginosko, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Greek scholars, you can correct me afterwards. But it means to come to know through experience. It's not just a head knowledge that you get by listening to a talk. It's an experience that happens that then shifts the way you think and the way you see the world. So you could read verse 16 as, so we have come to know by experiencing his love, and now we believe it. It says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So if you persevere in loving the body, you stay connected to the Father. 
is because you have your affections anchored in him, you begin to then value what he values. You begin to set your heart after the things that matter to him. And verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. So he's saying that actually this process is actually bringing love to. The word perfected there means complete, full. So the love of God is perfected with us, brought to completion. So it's letting God's love fill our hearts and overflow from us. That's love completed within us. And then verse 17. By the, uh, apologies, verse 18. Well, half of verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. That phrase, as he is, so are we in this world. You tend to think, well, as he was, so are we in this world, because he was almost a bit more human, right? A bit more like us than he is now. I mean, now he's seated high on a throne. He's glorious and shining and in heaven, and I'm not any of those things, right? But actually, what it describes there is that the place of unhindered relationship that he has now the place of perfect, pure righteousness that he has now. The place where he is completely free from fear. Free and able to love his persecutors right now. His position of being seated in authority and heavenly places. Experiencing God's full affection. That is the description of you and me right now. As he is, so are we in this world. Fully accepted, fully loved, fully righteous. Able to love our persecutors. Seated above all other things in Christ, in heavenly realms. Verse 18. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So knowing that we have this unhindered relationship with God means that there's no fear of his return, no fear of his heart for us. It says fear has to do with punishment. There's no fear of being punished when we know that we're loved and we know that we're redeemed and made whole and righteous and that as he is, so are we. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if you have a sense that actually there's a bit of fear in your heart of God's heart for you, how does he feel about me? Does he despise me a bit? Is he angry at me a bit? Does he resent me? Does he judge me? If there's that in your heart, let it encourage you. Because there is more work to be done. There's more love for you to encounter. To become free from those lies which don't belong to Camp Christ. And to come more fully into that knowledge of as he is, so am I in this world. So we live our lives not from uh, apprehension but from affection. Apprehension is, I'm scared of how God views me and what he's going to do about it. Affection is, I know he loves me. I've experienced that love. I've tasted and seen that love. And I know I can can rest in it. I know I can rest in it. Maybe that's, that's for you this morning, that you need to know a little bit more deeply the love of God for you. I think I'm preaching to myself there as well.
And we know that we have love for him and his body because we've come to know his love for us, which came first. It was his love that began the process. It wasn't ours. Something I want to try and teach my kids, something that we want to instill in them, is this sense of, yeah, affection rather than apprehension. Um, we want to create a, a family that's a, a sense of a, a safe place and a, gives them a sense of identity um, <clears throat> and something that they love being part of. That they love what we're building together. They have an understanding that we're actually about something, we're building something together and we all have a part to play in that. And from that will flow a desire to contribute and play a part. So instead of them seeing things like, like taking out the bins, you know, the basic things, or doing the washing up or tidying up, instead of seeing that as, oh, I've got to, they see that as, oh, no, I, I get to. I get to play a part in this family thing that we're doing, that we're creating. I get to play a part in making this better. I really have power to make this better. That if I wasn't part of this family, it would be less whole, less complete if my contribution was lacking. So it comes out of affection rather than apprehension. Not fear of punishment. What does it love then? This is what I think about. What does it love then to what does it mean then to love the church like this? Have a look at verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, we can't say, I'm a Christian and I love God, but I don't like the church. I don't love the church. It's okay to say, I'm a Christian, I love God, and I've been hurt by the church. That's okay. But it's not okay to walk away and say, no, I don't love the church. Because as John says here, anyone who despises the church does not have the love of the Father in them. But what would it be if we changed our perception of church rather than... Oh, I've got to go to church today. Oh, it was a late night last night and I'm tired and I've got to go to church. Oh, I've got to go to home group or oh, I've got to contribute. Oh, I've got to serve the teas, on the teas and coffees team today. Instead of that, why don't we change our perception and think, hang on a minute, I'm part of a family here. I've been invited into the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus, the one seated on the throne, the glorious, majestic king of kings, saw me in my life and said, come have fellowship with me. He was knocking on the door. We opened the door and he came in and ate with us. Now we're family. And we don't have to do these things. We get to. You ever, like, sometimes I think I'm sitting next to Jesus living inside this person. Like the king of kings is living in the person sitting next to me. I'm in the same room breathing the same air as a vessel of the living God. Like that blows my mind. What if we took a second once a week to just think, wow, I get to come along to church. I mean, we know the alternative. Camp Christ or Camp Antichrist. Camp Antichrist is going in the bin. But we get to through grace. We get to through the cross. Come and join in what we're about today. Be part of this family. So we turn up. We get stuck in. We serve. We attend. We forgive. We tithe. We step up. Or we step back. 
out of love. Love for our family, but ultimately our affection for our Father and what he's building in us and through us. So today from this passage, John is speaking to us about these three things. To choose which camp we want to be part of and to test what we're hearing. To make sure that it lines up with scripture. We choose to love each other in spite of pain because of our love for the Father. We choose to work as hard as we can, as long as it depends on us, to preserve unity. Trusting in God to make us whole at the end of the process. Trusting in his ability to work through us to bring the other person into wholeness. And that draws us into the deepest place of his heart. The place from which the cross came. And our daily experience... Our coming to know through experience of his love leads us to value what he values. And this keeps us in the knowledge of his affection and it drives out fear. And then we live from affection, not apprehension. Joyfully contributing and playing our part. I'd love to invite the, uh, the band to just come back up again. I'm conscious of the time, but... I feel like there's an opportunity here this morning to just do some business with God and just to process some of this stuff. I think that there's some freedom here from past hurts. I think that God wants to draw near to some of us in a more personal way by showing us how he forgives, showing us how he loves even through the pain. It could be that that's something you feel that you can, you can pray into today. It could be something that you take away with you to, to process yourself or with a, a brother or sister. I also feel that there's an opportunity to step away from the lie that God is a condemning, stern, judgmental figure. And again, to encounter his love and his, his pure kindness towards you. So, <clears throat> I don't know if you feel you would fall into either of those categories but I'd love us just as the band plays to take a few minutes to do some business with God and let the Holy Spirit speak to us so um, with regard to dealing with pain from past hurts I'd encourage you to face the pain to acknowledge it and say yeah that that did hurt I am hurting here but I want to draw near to you Jesus on the cross I want to step into that club closer place of intimacy with you by doing what you did and I want to set my heart on forgiving this person forgiveness doesn't mean it wasn't wrong forgiveness just means I'm going to cut off the debt they're not going to owe me for this anymore and once you've done that in your own words try to start praying a blessing over that person try to start seeing them the way God sees them try to start maybe praying into the place from which that pain originated, the brokenness that caused them to act how they acted, and just pray God's love in there. Pray for them to step into freedom. And if you are living with a sense of heaviness that God judges you and condemns you, actually what we need to do is repent of that. Repentance means to change our thinking. It's to say, actually, all my senses are telling me that that's true. But I've got the word of God here that says it's not. And I'm going to deny my senses that say I suck and I'm no good. And I'm going to trust the word of God 
So Lord, I repent of believing this, which I now trust is a lie, and I choose to accept the truth that I'm accepted, that I'm welcomed in, that I'm made whole and clean. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's what the Bible says. That's not the words of a stern father. That's the words of a loving father who has an overflowing heart of love for you. So I'm just going to pray now, and we'll leave some space for that. Holy Spirit, just come in. Just come in. Just reveal Jesus right now in this moment. Help us to push through pain. Help us in faith to disregard what you're saying is a lie and to trust you that the truth is you love us. You gave up your son for us. You valued us, your enemies, when we were caked in dirt, loving things that you said were evil and wrong, making wrong choices and wrong decisions. You loved us. And you gave your own precious holy son up for that. And in the midst of it, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Give us supernatural power now, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you accomplished through the cross. By the power of the blood of Jesus, we speak forgiveness over those who've hurt us. We let go of the pain, let go of the hurt. We trust you, Lord Jesus, in your judgment. That if you've said that you forgive these people, then we won't hold it against them either. Fill our hearts with strength and power now to that out. son so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life he didn't send his son into the world to condemn it but that through him they might be saved we receive the truth Jesus that you love us you long to draw us close that you are love 
are love. You're not just loving, but you are love. You're the wellspring of life that pours love out into our hearts. So Holy Spirit now, just come and fill us afresh. Be that fresh spring that bubbles up within us, welling up to eternal life.